A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, my friend. Today's number that I'm going to drop on you is 29 million. 29 million. That's the average number of people who've watched every episode of Game of Thrones that's aired this season on HBO. Streaming, on you know traditional cable, whatever. Long ago, the show became HBO's most popular show ever, and the numbers aren't in yet for the season finale, which aired last night. When it comes, though, it's safe to say that the series finale next year will be one of TV's iconic did-you-see-it moments. And those kind of things are few and far between, especially in today's scattered television day and age. This is the Stream Police Podcast. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and albums. Overdue Review, better late. Hello again, my friend. Welcome back to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. From my closet to your ear, from Andy's basement to your ear. We talk about movies and television and music and everything kind of in between here on this investigation of the pop culture landscape. Brought to you by your friends at OverdueReview.com. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor over there at the website. In a little bit, we'll be hearing from our music editor, Andy Sedlak. As I said, I talk to you from my closet in Cincinnati. He talks to you from his basement in Dayton. Just a couple Midwestern boys. What else do we have to do, man? There's nothing to do out here. We watch TV. We watch movies. We listen to records. I mean, we have so much spare time on our hands. Andy actually buys vinyl, and he doesn't do it, like, ironically or just for the artwork. Like, he actually just buys it, old ones, and listens to them. I mean, he could easily listen to them on Spotify. The guy goes out, makes the time, buys vinyl, Buys like old Glenn Fry records for five dollars at the record store that no somebody that you know some record that somebody threw out when you know their grandfather died or something. He buys them and listens to them. And me, meanwhile, I spend all my time if I'm not watching the thousands of movies that are on my own shelf at home, literally thousands. I'm going to the library. I'm putting holds on movies that I can never find anywhere else, and I'm watching them. Just like a couple weeks ago, I tracked down at the library a copy of Shoah, which I don't know if you've ever heard of Shoah. But it's a nine-hour Holocaust documentary. And I had been wanting to see it for years, never could find it anywhere. Any copy I'd ever found was like $300 if I wanted to buy it. It's just a rare movie, hard to find. 
but you know, usually considered the greatest Holocaust movie ever made. I watched it, and it was one of those that, like, I mean, I'll never be the same after watching it. I loved this film, but yeah, I spent nine hours watching a Holocaust documentary. So that's 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 we're in this for life, friends. And whether or not you listen, I think we're going to be talking about it. But I'm glad to have you along for the ride. Anyway, let me go ahead and light my stogie up before I get too excited here in my closet. And if you never saw it, again, Shoah. Check that out, man. Your library might have it. It's uh, that is, that is seminal film going. And, no, I'm sorry. It's not a feel-good movie, but it is about the human spirit. And, uh, you know, you should find something uplifting in there. But more, uh, more importantly, you learn something, my friend. You learn something. All right? You're not really going to learn anything new by going outside and staring up at the sun. I'm sorry. But if you watch a great movie, you can learn something new about yourself and about humanity. All right, let's go ahead and get to this week's edition of the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And with summer almost at an end, we have to say goodbye to the great season of summer here on the Stream Police. We honor summer with the most kick-ass summer song in TV history, and it also just happens to be one of the greatest TV show theme songs of all time. That's right. It's the theme from Hawaii Five O by Morton Stevens from the television series Hawaii Five O, which aired on CBS from 1968 to 1980. This song just sums up. Everything that's kind of like kick ass about summer, and it just instantly kind of takes your mind to a beach somewhere. But you're not sitting on the beach, right? I mean, this this pace is too this is too fraught. This is too upbeat. This isn't like like the Miami Vice theme, which I I, I featured on this segment a few weeks ago. That one is kind of a little bit more laid back. I feel like it's still very it's still very high octane. But this song, you cannot just sit back while this song is playing. This song is the polar opposite of that great uh, venture song, Walk, Don't Run. This song should, be, should have been called Run, Don't Walk. And you basically can't listen to this unless you're like in a speedboat zooming by islands in Hawaii. But anyway, the theme song for CBS's Hawaii Five-0 was written by a guy who was born in Jersey. All right, he's from Newark, or as Artie Lang would say, Nork, and educated in New York at Juilliard. All right, I'm not sure if Morton Stevens ever even went to Hawaii, but along with Don Ho's Tiny Bubbles, this is one of the first songs anyone thinks of when the state of Hawaii is even mentioned. So like I said, written by a guy named Morton Stevens, not exactly a name you think of when you think of like you know, jaunting through the islands or, or going and visiting Hawaii and sitting on a chair and, and going to a luau or something like that. This song was Stephen's most famous composition, and it earned him two Emmy Awards. He won two Emmys for this song. The show ran, as I said, from 1968 to 1980, uh, but while the quality of the show wasn't always strong, the theme song was a universal favorite. 
And paired with the fast-paced visuals of some lush beaches, some cityscapes, and some gorgeous Hawaiian women, it's still considered one of the best opening sequences in TV history, and for good reason. You'll always see this song on lists of the, the greatest TV theme songs ever. And the song has lived on throughout the years. Uh, the tune was later performed by plenty of artists. It was covered by a lot of people during the 60s and 70s. The Ventures probably did the most famous version of it. They just kept it as an instrumental. It's pretty much the exact same song, but you know, just sounds maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit tighter. I don't know. I, I like the Ventures version a lot. So they, they extended it out, too. Um, Don Ho covered the song, of course. So that's like the most Hawaiian song you could possibly get, right? Don Ho performing the Hawaii Five-0 theme song. He added lyrics to it, though. And Sammy Davis Jr. also did a version of it in which he added lyrics to the song as well. So there you go. I think it's about freaking time that we added it to the canon. The theme from Hawaii Five-0 by Morton Stevens. That is the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. I know when I said that Sammy Davis Jr. added lyrics to the song, you'd want to hear it. Like you have, you have to hear that. I can't just mention that. So here you go. I'll, 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 I'll whet your appetite. If you get in trouble, bring it home to me. Whether I am near you or across the sea, I will think of something. To Pretty fantastic stuff, right? I mean, there's not much that says, like, late 60s, early 70s, cool. Kind of like Sammy Davis Jr. singing uh, his own version of the Hawaii Five-0 television theme song, man. I mean, just innocent days. Innocent, innocent days. All right, let's fast forward to some less innocent days and talk a little bit about TV's biggest phenomenon, which, as I open the show with, is HBO's Game of Thrones and Season 7 which is the penultimate season, wrapped last night on HBO. And I'm sure, uh, as I'm recording this anyway, it wrapped last night. And I'm sure many of you out there watched it. If you didn't watch it, then I'm sorry. You'll probably want to fast forward to, I don't know, about the 25, 30-minute mark, something like that. I'm not going to get too heavy into spoilers here. I'm not going to talk about who died or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm going to, you know, talk about a couple of like the reunions and stuff like that that happened. So this will be like light on spoilers. But I just want to say mainly about this season. I want to talk about this season overall, which I think has been really one of the weaker seasons of the show. Sorry to harsh your buzz, but this has not been like TV at its greatest as far as the writing goes. I think the show's gotten very lazy. It's gotten very kind of self-congratulatory. And it's just kind of, I feel like, resting on the laurels at this point, giving people a little bit of what they expect, but also making the characters kind of dumb when the writers feel like they need to make them dumb. Like when, for plot reasons, plot at this point is ruling over characters. And at the beginning of this show, 
characters ruled the land. It was all about characters. The show was not about plot. The show ran at a snail's pace in the first couple seasons. And it was really what made the show kind of a phenomenon. We hadn't seen a whole lot like it. It was kind of like The Wire in the way that it was paced out. But The Wire stuck with that pace all the way through its five seasons, whereas Game of Thrones has become kind of like an action-adventure show uh, at this point. And really, I think the characters are being run over by the needs of the plot at this point. But first off, I want to talk about the length of the season. So HBO announced... I think it was earlier this year, might have been last year, that they were going to be basically splitting one season down the middle for the final season. It was going to be a season of 13 episodes, I guess, and they were going to split that in half. So, I mean, 13 episodes already is a pretty short season by traditional television standards, right? But for Game of Thrones, they're like, okay, we're going to split it and we're going to do a a seven-episode season. And then a six-episode season. So the seven-episode season's already over. And it it feels like the season just started. So next year's final season is going to be even worse. I mean, it's going to be over in a blink. Um, I'm sure the episodes are probably going to be kind of bloated, and I can only imagine the series finale is probably going to be three hours long or something like that. So really, it'll probably be like three episodes in one. Um, But still, the length of the season, I just I want to talk about that. This is a thing with TV now as we've gotten away from traditional narrative television structure, uh, and especially for shows that are not on on networks, they're able to kind of mess around with how long the seasons are. And I've said many times before that I'm more in favor of fewer episodes than more episodes. But in a show like this, where there's just so much that needs to happen, um, I think some more episodes probably would help us. Now, would it be a lot of padding? Yes, it would, but it would also match more you know, the the kind of pacing of the original seasons of the show. It wouldn't feel so rushed. I just feel like this whole season was so, like, rushed. Everything just had to... We knew where it was all going. We knew kind of how this season was going to end. Um, but, man, I mean, they had to just, like, sprint out of the gate to get there. And I don't know how they're going to do – the how they're going to wrap this up in six episodes. I mean, th- if you thought the pacing this season was breakneck, like, the next season, they're going to have to have the war with the White Walkers wrap up probably in two episodes, maybe three at most. And then that would leave them only three episodes to deal totally with the – Real, you know, big conflict between, you know, the Lannister army and, you know, the the Starks and Targaryens. I mean, that would be like three episodes to wrap up what the entire series has been building toward. So I just don't think there's going to be enough real estate to cover all that needs to happen here. But yeah, I was looking back through on the HBO app over the weekend, just looking back through The Sopranos and the number of episodes. And I remember... I thought that show really was briskly paced because it was 13 episodes a season. Every season was 13 episodes. And I remember thinking, like, when I first watched that show, I was like, man, this is flying because I had really only watched shows that were, like, 24 episodes a season. So 13 was was crazy how fast things were able to happen. But then, you know, I did remember I looked at Oz also, and I, I really – that that's a show that I've always loved a lot. And Oz is more of a comparison to Game of Thrones just because of the number of characters that are involved in that show. Um but Oz only did eight episodes a season, and that one came before The Sopranos. So in the 90s, there were some shows that were doing this kind of a very abbreviated season run. But Oz also was not popular like The Sopranos became and and like Game of Thrones has become. I mean, Oz was not like a show that, you know, tens of millions of people were watching. It was still kind of a show that was like a hidden gem, and critics loved it, and people that watched it absolutely loved it. But it wasn't like HBO's big popular series. 
Um, so it makes sense that that one would do fewer episodes a season. Uh, but Game of Thrones, I don't know. I just feel like they are uh, – I, I don't really get why they felt like they needed to cut the seasons down so much for the final two. I mean, are they basically saying, like, we don't have anything left to do? Like, we don't we don't have much left to tell. There's nothing to do. So we're just going to cut it. I mean, that's pretty much I feel like what they're saying. Like, they're kind of waving the white flag or something. But I feel like there's plenty left that needs to be resolved. And, and, and back in the early seasons of this show – they would just spend so much time having a conversation between two characters, and that just that can't happen anymore because of how smashed together everything has to be. I know the show's expensive. I think for HBO, they're spending like ten million an episode. So for twenty four episodes, you know, over the course of two more seasons, I mean, it's a ton of money that they would be spending on this, and the episodes are kind of getting more special effects crazy as they go on because the White Walkers are playing more of a prominent role and all that, obviously has to be done with CGI. So it's it's getting to be a very expensive show and that's probably the number one reason why, but you see the numbers, I mean they are it's bringing subscribers in at least for the time when this show is on and Westworld was very popular too. So HBO I think is doing quite well right now when a lot of people thought HBO might go by the wayside with the rise of Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. But so this season to me, overall season 7, I I told you I thought it wasn't very wasn't a very good season overall. It just felt uncharacteristically nostalgic and fan servicey. You know, a lot of the reunions and stuff like that happened this season, but I actually did like the reunions. I'm not ripping those. I'm not saying that that's why I don't think this season was very good. I think the reunions were a long time coming, and they were not cheap because they were payoffs for things that fans had wanted to see for a long time and that the show did build up. I mean, the reunion of Arya and Sansa, for example, I mean, both of them had been trying to get to Winterfell since the end of the first season. And finally, they're able to get back together. And and it really, and while, you know, it's not lovey-dovey, which made sense because these two characters don't really know each other anymore. They've spent so many years apart. Their their journeys have been so different. Uh, and same for Bran. But to see them all reunite was very cool. And we're going to finally get to see Jon Snow reunite with Arya and reunite with Sansa and, and Bran. And, and that's going to be a great moment when that finally comes as well. So there's a lot of reunions still to come. But I feel like some of these reunions were just so concise. I wish they hadn't been. You know, when Tyrion and Podrick got together, you remember how tight those guys were? I mean, Podrick had a tear in his eye when he left the cell, when Tyrion told him to leave and go off with Brienne and, and you know, and, and go off on the journey that he's been on since the fourth season. Podrick had a tear in his eye. I mean, these two guys really, like, they loved each other as friends. And Tyrion kind of almost raised Pod. Uh, he, he was a nobody, and he turned him into really one of the, the best squires in history, as another character says. So I would have loved to have seen them actually have a conversation. Or Tyrion and Bronn. I feel like Tyrion and Bronn, just, they had a little short little talk while they were walking, a little walk and talk kind of thing. But they deserved a lot more than that. I mean, Tyrion and Bronn was like the ultimate bromance in the early seasons of the show, these two guys were like made a match made in heaven uh, for each other. And, you know, if this was season one or two, we would have spent 12 minutes just watching Tyrion and Bronn drink wine in a brothel, spinning bullshit, not talking really about anything, but at the same time talking about everything. Um, but, you know, at this point in the show, they just can't do that. They don't do that anymore. These we don't get to watch these long scenes of dialogue. And I think that's why I loved in the finale 
the scenes between Cersei and Tyrion, the scene between Cersei and Tyrion might have been the best part of the entire episode. Um, just because when you get to watch two actors that are so good and have lived these characters for so long, have a conversation, um, it's just, I mean, it's electric. And uh, that's what I used to love the, in the older seasons of the show. My favorite episodes and my favorite scenes were always the scenes between Tyrion and Tywin. I thought those scenes were so electric, so fun to watch, because you had two actors that were just, I mean, among the best in the world and had embodied their characters so fully, just talking. I could have listened to them talk for 45 minutes, even though it was so adversarial and negative. It just was was brilliant to listen to. It was well-written, and well-devised, and well-acted, and that's why I watch television is for that kind of stuff. I don't watch television so I can see action scenes and battles and stuff like that. That's not really what I'm looking for on TV. I want to see meaningful interactions between characters that I've seen build for years and years. Anybody can do action, all right? And then the scene between Cersei and Jamie, another great scene uh, that made a lot of sense and was a long time coming and felt like a very good payoff. Just And really all it was was two people talking. That's it. It was just two people talking. And two people talking was what Game of Thrones specialized in in the early seasons. I just feel like everything on the show is so rushed now. I mean, do you feel that way? Don't you feel like they just kind of zoom through everything now because they've got to get to the next big twist or the next big, you know, moment that everyone's going to tweet about? I, the show has changed fundamentally since it started, and that's it's because of the pacing. It has gone from a show that was really a character-driven, dialogue-heavy kind of show to a show that's all about plot and action. And the final season, I feel like, is going to strictly be like an action show. I don't see how it can't be. And that's the thing I don't like about the White Walkers. What made the battles so great in the earlier seasons is because you had a chance at negotiations. You got to hear um, some of the devising and some of the strategies. Tywin would be in his tent laying out the strategies for what the Lannister army was going to do when he was fighting Rob. Those great scenes with Rob in his tent laying out what his army was going to do. The, the scenes of Stannis and Melisandre and Davos standing over that map at Dragonstone uh, talking about where they're going to go next, what they're going to do. I used to love that kind of stuff. The military strategy stuff was I thought a really strong point of the show. Now, I don't know how good those strategies actually were. I've heard some people kind of like military people have ripped the strategy saying that no one on this show is really good at at strategizing, you know, in, in terms of a war. But, you know, that's beside the point. I used to love that kind of stuff. But with the White Walkers, there's none of that because these guys don't talk. There's not going to be any sit down. Let's have a negotiation. We don't get scenes of the White Walkers planning their next battle. They just kind of come in. And do whatever they're going to do, and then they keep going. I mean, so it's it's very boring. I feel like anytime the White Walkers are involved, I just don't really care very much because all you're all it's going to boil down to is a big battle. That's it. There's not going to be any strategizing. There's not going to be any talking. It's just going to be a battle. All right, who's going to get who's going to kill the most people? All right, I don't really care about that. Who cares? Now, some people love those battle episodes, but to me, what made those so strong and surprising were the character moments. Like, remember the the great early episode when they're having to defend King's Landing from Stannis' troops and Tyrion goes down like on the beach and leads the charge. That was such a surprising moment because no one expected that from Tyrion. He was almost like a coward. And yet here he goes. He picks up his axe and he goes down there and he tries to take on the Baratheon army by himself, basically leading the charge with these Lannister guys and almost gets killed by one of his own men in the process. But it was a great moment. It was a great character, defining character moment for him. 
or the moment when Sansa shows up and becomes an overnight badass at the Battle of the Bastards. That was a great character moment. It's one thing that I'll always remember from the show. I feel like those moments are going to be just, those are kind of not going to happen when we're talking about the White Walkers. And the writing has gotten to a point where I feel like it's just very lazy and predictable and makes no sense. It's, I mean, it's like they've thrown logic out the window. Let's talk about Jon Snow for a second. So Johnny Snow, he's been saved by too many last-minute lazy writing tricks for my money over the course of this series. The guy gets saved literally at the last second at the Battle of the Bastards by Santa. All right. Last second, literally, he would have been dead if it had been any longer. He also literally gets brought back to life in a move that everyone saw coming, but nobody really wanted to believe was happening on a show where death had always been so swift and so final. I mean, where's Melisandre been all my life? Couldn't she have been there when Ned got his head chopped off? Couldn't she have, like, you know, fastened his head back on and brought him back? I mean, where's she been? She could just bring people back to life all this time? Let's undo all the stuff that's happened. Let's combine her and Bran and his time-traveling abilities and start just bringing people back to life. I mean, why not at this point? But of all the dumb ways that Jon has been saved at the last minute, the penultimate episode of this season had two of them that I think were the lamest examples of, of this yet. He gets saved by Daenerys, who flies in on Dragonback, and that moment to me was as bad as the show has ever been, just because it made absolutely no sense. It was a moment we've seen a hundred times before, very predictable, very lazy. Here's why it was lazy. All right, you may have thought that moment was cool, but for, here's why it didn't work for me. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just like, oh my God, this is so stupid. Remember back in the days in Westeros when it took ravens days to send messages across the kingdom? And that was when the weather was nice. We just had somebody in this last episode make the remark that, well, when it's winter time, the ravens can't fly as, you know, as well. So back when the weather was nice, it took them days to deliver a message usually. Well, in the penultimate episode of this season, all in the course of a single day cycle, Gendry is able to run on foot to the wall, which I don't understand why John and all those other guys didn't just take off running on foot with him. They made some remark like, you're the fastest one. You've got to go. Well, he's not that much faster. I mean, it's not like Gendry's not some track star or something. This guy's been standing around making – I mean, he's been a blacksmith. What's, he's, not, he's not been training for a marathon or something like that. This guy – why is he the fastest one? I mean, I think all these other guys would be faster. They're like trained warriors. So that made absolutely no sense why they all didn't just run with him, because clearly he was easily able to make it to the wall with no problem. So Gendry's able to run on foot all the way to the wall. Then he's able to have a raven sent from the wall way south to Dragonstone. The raven gets there in a single day. This was like the fastest raven in the history of mankind. Daenerys is able to get the message, read the message, you know, stop whatever it is she's doing, get on a dragon, fly all the way north of the wall, and find the exact location that John and the gang are standing on some rock in the middle of a frozen lake at the exact time she's needed. I mean, I don't know if GPS, like, I don't know if Drogon has, like, a GPS built into his back, and maybe the raven included some coordinates that she needed to put in, but how did she know exactly where to go? I mean, north of the wall is, like, is is fucking massive. I mean, there's no there's no signposts or anything up there. There's no town names. It's just north of the wall is what it is. And she's never even been there. So how does she know where she's going? But she's able to get right o over top of where 
the White Walkers are circling everyone, swoops right down and picks up Johnny and the gang, and they're able to go. Well, she didn't pick up Johnny, but she picked up the gang, and they were able to go. I mean, that moment was just so stupid to me, and it felt like something that would have been like in some Kurt Russell 1980s, you know, action movie or something like that. I mean, just so contrived. And just something that was supposed to look badass and be cool, but when you think about it logically, falls apart in two seconds. It was just so cheap and lazy. But then they weren't done yet. All right, so after Daenerys leaves with the gang on Dragonback, Jon still is not on top of the dragon, so he's got to get rescued again. So Uncle Benjen comes out of absolute nowhere. I mean, where was this guy? No one's talking about him. He hasn't been mentioned in two seasons. He hasn't been seen at all. He was he just knew this was going on. He just happened to see it all happening and he waited till the last second. I mean, why did he wait so long? He could have come in and and used his stupid, you know, mace thing, killed a bunch of white walkers and then John could have gotten on Dragonback and it would have saved the whole the whole deal, but instead he waits till the last second, rides through on his horse, and then he sacrifices himself so that John uh, can can live and he'll die. I mean, why did he need to sacrifice himself? Why have two? Why could these two guys not both ride the horse? I mean, come on, this is a powerful animal. This is not, and these guys are not like the big fattest guys on the show or anything. I mean, these are two pretty trim guys. I mean, Benjamin's been living north of the wall for how long? There's no way he's put on too much weight in that time. If anything, he's probably like a twig at this point. And John's a little bit petite himself, so I just didn't get it. Why did Benjamin need to kill himself? Why did he need to sacrifice himself? Made no sense. But of course, for the plot, had to save John again. Everybody has to save John at the last second, and it all ends up fine in the end. So I, I just that episode was so stupid to me, and the ending of that episode was so lazily written that I just I'm like, man, what is this show doing? It's so ridiculous at this point. It's like they're just going for moments. They're not even trying to make sense anymore. So the finale, though, the finale was a better episode overall, I think, with some more satisfying payoffs and some character moves that actually did make sense, like Cersei lying about you know her allegiance with Daenerys. Uh, you couldn't have believed that for a second. Jamie running away from her, that made a lot of sense as well and was a long time coming. The Starks teaming up with each other, not undercutting each other, um, was very well done. I would have been so disappointed if they had gone through with that whole thing with Arya and Sansa. Um, actually not trusting each other. I'm glad that in the end uh, the writers made the right choice there. But Bran, to me, here's my final big complaint about where Game of Thrones has gone since the early days. So Bran at this point has really just become a plot device. That's all he's become. He's not even a person anymore. He's just a device that spews important plot points. That's all he does. I mean, if his power is this immense, can't he just become something that would, like, kill the Night King in one shot? Can't he just become something that would just kill Cersei in one shot? Can't he go into, like, the mountain's mind? The mountain has no mind left. So, I mean, couldn't he just, like, warg into him? And, and I don't know how it works. Does he need to be, like, in physical contact with him? Does he need to be within 25 feet to be able to to really do it? I don't get it. Or just become some kind of animal and go all the way down to King's Landing and kill Cersei. I mean, just do whatever you got to do, you know? But get it done. He seems to be the best person to do it. So he's basically at this point become a living, breathing security camera that's also always rolling and always has been rolling throughout time. I just hope that as we as we move on, 
I hope the writers don't lean on this time traveling brand thing anymore. I hope that's done. I, I think that that has served its purpose. It was basically just set up so that they could tell the origin of John and what his true family, uh, what his true bloodline was. And great, we got that out of the way. No one else could have done it but Bran. Uh, but what else? Like, let's not do the time travel thing anymore. It's just, again, lazy. Everyone's just supposed to believe him. Uh, that he really did see this stuff. I I don't know. It's just it's stretching a lot of the credibility for me at this point. I don't understand how it works, and it hasn't really been explained too well as far as how it works. He's able to just go back to any moment in any time just at the snap of a finger, and it's just it's too much, too much for me. I could go with the getting in the brains of animals and stuff like that, but I don't know about just traveling back in time to passively watch things that happen throughout history. It's uh, just a little... A little much for me. So that's my take on Game of Thrones uh, Season 7 and the finale, which, as I said, aired last night when I'm recording this. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. If you have any, send me an email at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. One final thing on Game of Thrones. I've been, uh, Beth and I have been re-watching it from the beginning for the last uh, month or so, and re-watching the show has really, to me, revealed a lot of flaws that I didn't see were there. And this just sounds like I'm like shitting all over Game of Thrones, and that's my whole point of this episode. I think there's a lot that's really cool about Game of Thrones, and I love that it's an event show. Everyone has to kind of watch it when it's on. I love that because we haven't had a show like that in a long time, I think. So it's really it's great for that, and it is a great conversation piece, um, and there's a lot to talk about, and these characters really are well-crafted and, um, and fun to watch, and the acting's always top-notch. But... Rewatching the show has revealed a lot of flaws to me, and mostly the fact that the show is very, very sexist. Uh, that has been the biggest thing that I've had to come to grips with when I've been rewatching this show. Now, sure, it's got a lot of female characters in it, but that doesn't really mean much on, you know, just it's in itself. It's hard to watch those, like, nude dialogue scenes, you know, the scenes where, like, they'll be just a dialogue dump and there'll be like a man in the scene and he's clothed and some woman who's fully full frontal nude, like having a conversation or two men having a conversation. And there's like full frontal naked women making out with each other in the background or something like that. I mean, just totally unnecessary, you know, just ridiculous. It's hard to watch those now the second time around. And also the no consequence rape scenes, which happen all the time. And even from characters that we like, like we just watched an episode where Jamie rapes Cersei, and I had completely forgotten about that by this point. But it's like, how? Okay, so I'm really supposed to like this guy, and I'm supposed to think that he is someone I, I should, I should enjoy. I mean, yeah, Cersei's awful, but she doesn't deserve to be raped by somebody, let alone her own brother who's supposed to love her, be like the one person that really truly loves her. Um, so I mean, it's just like, why does that need to happen? I don't understand. It, it added nothing to the story and just subtracted a lot. So it's just hard to watch this stuff without cringing the second time through. It's also hard not to notice that all the female characters who aren't named Stark find their power explicitly through their sexuality. Like that's the only way that at first they're able to find their power. And it's every female character. I'm telling you, um, with the exception of Brienne also, uh, and anyone not named Stark, like I said, they have to use their sexuality. It's like the only way they're able to find any power in the show and the show is often very straight-faced in its advice to young women that their vaginas are the most important tools that they have. 
Um, I mean, several characters say lines like that throughout the the show, and they're always dead serious when they do it. And it sends a really bad message, I think, to young women out there uh, in, in saying basically like, yeah, your vagina is the most important thing you have. It's the mo- It's way more important than your brain. Your brain's not going to get you anywhere. Your own physical strength is not going to get you anywhere. It's just all about your vagina. That's it. So, you know, be glad you have one because that's the only thing you have, really. Uh, the show says that pretty much at, at various points. And the snail's pace also with which the White Walkers travel has never made any sense to me, but that's something else entirely. Men without cocks. You wouldn't find me fighting in an army if I had no cock. What's left to fight for? Gold. I spend my life around soldiers. What do you think they spend that gold on? Family. Not without a cock, you don't. Maybe it really is all cocks in the end. Yet your brother has chosen to side with the cockless. Yes. He's always been a champion of the downtrodden. There you go. There are my thoughts on Game of Thrones. I've been re-watching it again and, and being a little bit more disappointed in it than I was the first time through. So you can contrast that with my first review of the show, which I did last year, I believe, here on the Stream Police. Um, all right. So see, seven seasons of Game of Thrones, though, now are streaming for you on HBO Now, HBO Go, all that stuff. Give it a watch if you want to finally realize what everyone's talking about. You've got another year before the final season is going to come down the pike. All right, I'm going to take a break and toss things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. Let's see what he's got spinning this week. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ah, it's good to be with you. Are you good? God, I, I hope so. I hope the days have been good and the, the drinks have gone down easy, my friends. It's good uh, to get back on the mic and, and what a time it is to be alive. And isn't it special, my friends, to be at ground zero, to experience a new Taylor Swift album firsthand. The world shook, people cried, and Taylor Swift fans all over the world are calling in sick on November 10th. That's when her album drops, by the way. Swift has a new album coming out in uh, November. It will be her first in three years, and it'll be called Reputation. I was freaking out today. I didn't cry, but I was (laughs) real excited. She has a new song that is already out. She's called that. Look what you made me do. I'll give you a taste. Here we go. I don't. 
That just wasn't enough. Here's a little more. But I got smarter, I got harder in the nick of time. Honey, I rose up from the dead, I do it all the time. I got a list of names and yours is in red underlined. I check it once, then I check it twice. Oh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you made me do. It's dark, it's risky, it's trippy, it's freaky, nightmarish, mind-bending, aggressive, mature. Or is it? Is it, maybe, just another song? Taylor Swift fans uh, have a lot in common with Donald Trump supporters. Because no matter what these people do, their believers think that it's meaningful. So... In Swift's case, fans are trying to decipher hidden uh, meanings within her lyrics. Who is she talking about now? What does she have to say to her haters? The answer, it turns out, is not much. Not much. In truth, it is just another song. It sounds like it would fit in on radio. And yeah, it's, it's a little bit different for her, I'll give you that. But it's not much different for pop music it's just part of the crowd it fits comfortably within the club it's just another song just another song but andy what about the lyrics she's going after kanye right we all remember kanye's infamous vma stage crash and there's the whole Katy perry feud Then Kim K exposed Taylor and Kanye's phone call on Snapchat. I'm really glad that you have the respect to call me. So, could the snake be Kanye? Or Kim? Or how about Katie? Or could it be Tay-Tay herself? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Here's what I'm thinking when I listen to Taylor Swift's new song. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, again, here's what I'm thinking when I listen to Taylor Swift's new song. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This is like a tabloid newspaper set to music. If you can't tell, I've never been too impressed with Swift. I just don't think she's too much different than than most other pop stars. Uh, Some songs I like, many more I don't. Out of the Woods was cool, Blank Space was good, Shake It Off, Style, and Bad Blood were all atrocious. What sets her apart is her marketing. She generates word of mouth because she leads people to believe that there are these little messages in her songs. It's marketing, people. I'm not knocking it. I work in marketing. I recognize it. But let's not mistake it for revolutionary. The one thing that does stick out about this song, and I mean it's immediately apparent, is that it is slower. The tempo is slower. And and to be honest with you, it's one of the reasons why I said it would fit in well with radio. Pop music as a whole has slowed down. That's not my opinion. That's a fact. If you look strictly at sales, the most popular songs of the summer are Despacito. Despacito. And... A song by DJ Khaled. I know he's he's been on a roll lately, but so far his biggest hit, technically speaking, is I'm the One. Oh, 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 
both songs are under 90 beats per minute. That's pretty slow. In fact, a a study was done recently. If you if you want to email me, I'll send it to you. But it basically said that in the last five years, the average tempo in top 40 songs fell by over 20 beats per minute. That's a pretty sharp drop-off. We're talking about songs that are 90 beats per minute, so what's a fast song? If that's a slow song, what's a fast song? Well, a fast song may be around uh, 120 beats per minute. So 120 beats per minute, that's a fast song. We're talking about 90 beats per minute. That's in a lot of pop songs right now. That's, That's really pretty slow. You just don't hear a lot of fast songs anymore. The study I'm talking about says that the number of songs that are around 120 beats per minute, a fast song, the number of fast songs fell by 56% over the last five years. We're sort of in a plotting spot right now. So what's causing this? Well, some say rap beats have gotten slower. It's a trend. But for now, rappers like to kind of swag out on slower beats. Some say that nobody wants to party given current events. A hook and a a steady, just a steady rhythm will do just fine. But let's be real here. The reason, in my opinion, that music is slowing down is because the fastest genres, rock and roll, punk, metal, are, are totally missing from the pop charts. There is no rock and roll. That's fast music. But there's none of it on the charts. So what's left? Well, mid-tempo songs is what's left. Who's the biggest rock band at the moment? It's debatable, but but Coldplay is probably a a pretty safe answer. So if you look at Coldplay's latest song, uh, it fits right into this loping trend. They they, they partnered with uh, the Chainsmokers to release this. It's not a fast song. It's a trend right now, and trends don't last forever. So does that mean a rock and roll rebirth is around the corner? Is there another Elvis out there waiting to get through? Of course not. There was only one Elvis. But yet, you know, anything can happen. I can't predict it, and neither can you. But something will happen. Something will happen. Speaking of Elvis, we recently passed the uh, the 40th anniversary of his death. CBS News, Elvis Presley, king of popular music, is dead at the age of 42. On August 16, 1977, Presley's then-girlfriend, Ginger Alden, found him dead on his bathroom floor. Elvis was in rough shape. He suffered from glaucoma, high blood pressure, liver damage, and an enlarged colon. At the time he died, he weighed over 300 pounds. He was 42 years old. There wasn't a whole lot of dignity at that time. He surrounded himself with people who genuinely didn't give a shit about him. In fact, a cousin accepted $18,000 to secretly photograph Elvis's corpse. Those pictures uh, later appeared in the National Enquirer. Clint recently said to me he's noticed that people our age, and we're right around 30, haven't embraced Elvis like the Beatles or other icons around that time. I thought about it, and he's right. 
people our age don't really talk about Elvis. Maybe it's because the caricature gets in the way. The fat Elvis, the Vegas Elvis. Johnny Bravo made fun of it. We watched that. The Simpsons made fun of it. We watched that. Kind of a joke in popular culture. You may have picked up on that. Elvis didn't write much of his own stuff. Does that does that get in the way of, of uh, aspiring musicians? Do performers relate to him more than musicians? I hope not, but it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe it's just one too many generations removed. The 60s were the 60s. The 50s, ancient history. Sorry, it's just the way it is. But millennials haven't embraced Elvis like they've embraced the Beatles. But if you talk to the surviving Beatles, the first person they'd point you to is Elvis. He just had one of the coolest, toughest, smoothest voices. And that's what still stands out to me. It's so cool. Nobody has touched it. It didn't end well, no doubt. But man, the dude could sing. And that dude could inspire. Like he can still inspire, especially when you look at the loping pop music of the day. Elvis, in a weird way, might be kind of primed for a comeback. It's fast, it's fun, it's genuinely funny, it's ever cool. And it's a stark about face compared to what people are used to at the current moment. Maybe our generation will start to embrace him. I remember Clint and I watched his entire 68 comeback special one time. We were just freaking glued to it. Dude put on a show. We loved it. Ate it up. Maybe he's primed for a comeback. Elvis Presley. How about your first record? Yeah, about your first record. About my first record, okay? My first record was made, uh, I don't want to go. We had three instruments, myself on guitar and Scotty and a bass player. And it was called, uh, what was it called, man? I don't know, I was just a small boy at the time. You're still a small boy. As you know, friends, we're building the most perfect playlist known to man. The Stream Police playlist is available on Spotify anytime you want to listen to it. This month, we're going to add five more songs to it. They're all going to be Elvis songs. They are all Elvis songs. First, well, we're going to start with his first hit. It sounds downright lo-fi by today's standards, and what's got more cred than that? Now, I've always liked the humor in this next song. You uh, you can't beat a guy who just keeps getting dumped on. It's Return to Cinder. This time I'm going to take it myself and put it right in her hand. And if it comes back the very next day, then I'll understand. Probably Elvis's most topical song, uh, Get Over the Word Ghetto. I know it's got a weird association <laughs> that kind of comes with it these days. Just listen to the words. Well, the world 
returns And a hungry little boy with a running nose Plays in the street as a cold wind blows in the ghetto And his hunger burns So he starts to roam the streets at night And he learns how to steal And he learns how to fight in the ghetto Then one night in desperation The young man breaks away He buys a gun, he steals a car tries to run, but he don't get far And his mama cries As a crowd gathers round An angry young man face down In the street with a gun in his hand Okay, next, it's uh, just uh, one of the coolest songs ever written. And I genuinely believe that if you played it in a bar, no matter what bar you're in, you're going to kill with it. You know I can be found Sitting home all alone If you can't come around At least please tell the phone Don't be cruel Finally, it's a song that I hold uh, dear to my heart. Lyrically, it's smart, catchy, it builds. It's just a uh, uniter. In my mind, it's king, just like the man himself. It is Suspicious Minds. We're caught in a trap I can't walk out Because I love you too much, baby Why can't you see What you're doing to me When you don't believe a word I say We can't go on together With suspicion That's it, friends. I'm late for the bus. Got to get going. Until next time, I hope you'll uh, try to behave. (laughs) Peace out. All right, thank you very much, Andy, as always. Spinning that vinyl. Still spinning that vinyl. I haven't I haven't joined the vinyl revolution yet, but Andy still swears by it. And he's not a hipster. He's like uh, 
definitely not a hipster. Andy's a lot of things, but hipster is not one of them. So uh, he's not doing it because it's cool. I think he just genuinely actually likes the way it sounds. So, hey, man, to each their own. But thank you very much, Andy, as always. All right, uh, real quick, I want to give you my fall TV preview. So I'm going to give you 10 new shows that are coming out in September and October that I want to uh, uh, recommend maybe that uh, you give a a, a look at because I'm going to be giving a look at them, and I don't know if they're going to be good, but we'll get to that in a second. But first, I did want to just real quickly uh, give praise to a show that ended since the last time we spoke, and that's Orphan Black on BBC America. I've talked about Orphan Black before on the show. You can go back and hear my kind of full review of it uh, in previous episode. But uh, there are five seasons on BBC America. The series finale just aired uh, in August. And the show also, if you want to watch it, is streaming on Amazon or on demand through your cable satellite provider. Uh, If you go to the BBC America section, I think they have all five seasons there now streaming. But this show, I just enjoyed this show so much. I I really liked the way they did the finale. And this show all the way through was just kind of heartfelt. It wore itself on its sleeve. It was so funny, so surprising, so fun. and it's just a cool exercise in sci-fi and in character acting and just built around one powerhouse performance. Um, so I'm really sad that I'm not going to have any new episodes of Orphan Black to watch now. I told you before, Tatiana Maslany, the star of this show, I think gave one of the best performances that I've ever seen in television history. She finally did win an Emmy last year, so that was fantastic. Um, but just watching her play all these parts, the show was about, if, if you don't remember me talking about it, if you never saw it or read about it, it was about a, a group of clones who over time they start figuring out that there are other women who look exactly like them and that they are clones and they try to get to the bottom of it in five seasons of, you know, why were we cloned? Who did this? Who's behind this? Um, you know, what does it mean for our overall health? And, you know, how do we get back at them for basically making us into property? So it, it gets into all their backstories. And one actor, one female actor plays all the clones over the course of the series. And it's like more than a dozen of them over the course of the show. And the way the special effects work, it's really cool to watch them talk with each other. It looks very convincing, never looks cheesy. Um, and all the characters really have like their own unique personalities, their own unique looks. So much so where fans of the show who became known as the Clone Club, um, would identify with one clone and they would, you know, like wear shirts of that clone. And, you know, so it it was like you'd get on a team with one certain clone, but they were all really likable and fantastic. And I liked every single one of them. But Tatiana Maslany, like overnight, became one of my favorite actors on the planet for her work that she's done in this show. So she can't get enough praise. She played all of them so well, gave them unique accents, gave them unique looks, mannerisms. It, it's just it's amazing acting what she did on this show. It is so fun to watch. Um, and again, I think if you like kind of some more light sci-fi, it gets heavy sci-fi sometimes, but it's more like about the characters and less kind of about the science. Um, I think you got to watch Orphan Black if you never saw this show. It's such a hidden little gem in this time where shows are like, there's just too many shows out there. This one we found, Beth and I, and we loved watching every single episode of it. The mythology became a little bit wacky in the final two seasons, but whatever. Again, all the way through, it's about the characters. I love the characters dearly. And this show, I just think, was really a gem. The finale was well done. They split some action with some resolution. They ended it on a heartfelt note. That felt really like the only way that this show could have gone out because this was a heartfelt show 
all the way from the start. Uh, so it, I just I loved it. I loved Orphan Black. I think you, you've got to give it a chance again if you. Uh, or a fan of kind of like X-Files style sci-fi, I think you'll really like it. Um, and if you just like to watch great acting, Tatiana Maslany, man, she is, she's wonderful. I can't wait to see her in some movies and stuff. I, I think, uh, I hope she does, gets a lot more work after this because she's very versatile as she showed throughout Orphan Black. So that show, again, all five seasons are streaming now on Amazon Prime if you want to check them out. Is that your memoirs? Yes. I finished my book. It's a story about my sisters. I call it Orphan Black. Boy, that's weird. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. Because we're all orphans, right? Yeah, that's what it is. Is that what it is? We're not black. Are you? Oh, God. <laughs> what does it mean? Shut up. Listen, I will translate from Ukrainian. My story is an embroidery with many beginnings and no end. But I will start with the thread of my sister, Sarah, who stepped off a train one day and met herself. Okay, so every year about this time, I like to give you my fall TV preview where I pick out 10 new shows based on promos and advertising and what I'm reading about, cast and crew. Um, I have not watched episodes of any of these shows. I don't get, like, preview screeners or anything. I'm totally going on what I know about the shows, what I've heard about them. Um, and, and picking all of these out. So these are 10 new shows that I'll be at least giving a chance uh, this upcoming season, and we'll see how they go. All right, so first off, it's it's not a totally new series, but it's a new season of American Horror Story. This one is called Cult. So American Horror Story Cult starts September 5th on FX, and I'm picking this one out because I think it just looks like uh, a more topical spin than this show has ever tried to do. American Horror Story's never really tried to be too topical, but they're going to go that way this time, and we'll see what happens. The 2016 election is actually what kicks off this season of American Horror Story. The the uh, trailer that's come out shows this crazy bastard played by um, Evan Peters, who he's this like crazy dude from Michigan who gets all jacked up that Trump wins the election. And meanwhile, it shows like Sarah Paulson's character and some others screaming at the television when they see the election returns come in. But this guy seems to be like maybe he's going to be the villain in the early trailer. So, again, we've got the political climate coming into the mix. People have kind of gone nuts, as we've seen uh, in the past few weeks. So it's going to be very timely. Is it going to be like bang you over the head um, liberal? I don't know, but. You know, we'll see what they've kind of got up their sleeve. I think uh, they could do some interesting things here in American Horror Stories. Uh, not always been great, but sometimes it has been, and when it is, it's thrilling. Uh, Sarah Paulson, Evan Peters, Emma Roberts, and the great Francis Conroy are all back in the cast. And some new cast members this season include Allison Pill, uh, Lena Dunham, and Billy Lord, who I really liked a lot in Scream Queens. I'm glad to see her joining the cast of American Horror Story. So uh, it's got a very, very strong cast this season, and we'll see what they're able to do with it. That starts September 5th on FX. What's the thing that scares you the most? It is now official. Donald Trump is the next oh president of the United States. Since election night, it has just all been getting so much worse. The recurrence of the chlorophobia? Yes. The clowns. I'll work through it. He was right there! Allie, this is ridiculous! I know what I saw! 
fills your heart with dread. Children. I've always enjoyed children. Here, I got this for you. Just don't tell your moms. I'm not making this up. I don't know how much more of this I can take. If you get people scared enough, they will set the world on fire. Next up, and I'm going in order of when they premiere, by the way, September 10th on HBO, The Deuce is going to be launching, and uh, this is my second new show of fall 2017 that I'm definitely going to be checking out, and I think you should too. This is a period show set in 1970s New York, and it's about the legalization and rise of pornography, and it's kind of set in the porn business, but not completely. Uh, This show comes from uh, the creator of The Wire, David Simon, and one of the best writers on The Wire, George Pelicanos. So it's definitely going to involve much more than just the porn industry. It's going to be about drugs. It's going to be about policing, prostitution, social welfare, and presumably all the victims of these different nefarious things. The scope of The Wire has kind of been unmatched in TV history, and the deuce looks like it's going to definitely be cut from the exact same cloth. Uh, There's an eight-episode first season that's scheduled. Um, Lots of Wire actors pop up in the trailer if you give that a watch. But the big leads for the show are uh, kind of Hollywood heavyweights. James Franco, who plays twins. Um, So we got another male actor doing twins again. I don't know why this is the big thing now. And also Maggie Gyllenhaal is going to be in it. Why do they, just as an aside, why are like the one actor playing twins thing, why is that only done with men? Like Tom Hardy had that movie that came out a couple years ago where he played the twins. Earlier this year on Fargo, Ewan McGregor played the twins. James Franco's playing the twins. I feel like they never do like female twin movies like that. Now, Orphan Black, as I mentioned before, was another thing because they were clones, but like twins. I just, I feel like that never happens where you have one female actor play twins. Somebody... Somebody needs to do that. I don't know if it needs to be done, but I don't know why it's never done. So anyway, The Deuce looks very interesting. looks like it could be another great addition to HBO's uh, lineage as TV's original go-to network for prestige viewing. The Deuce starts September 10th on HBO. If I was you, gentlemen, I would take any offer that moved your ladies off the pavement. Been running women off the streets for a while now. The parlors are all paying us. But this... It's not news. We've called out city corruption before. There's been a change. In the law, something about community standards. What about community standards? Apparently, New York has none. (laughs) Pure innovation. See, we can turn a dime into a dollar just like that. Hush not, child. I want to learn how to make movies. If they can sell that in Europe, it's not going to be lost before we can make it sell it here. How do you know? America, right? Third one I'm going to pick out for you starts September 15th on Netflix, and it's called American Vandal. Uh, the trailer is out for this right now on YouTube, and the trailer really like made me laugh uh, out loud several times. And I don't often do that when I'm watching trailers for movies or shows, but this one looks pretty funny. Uh, obviously, Netflix has kind of been responsible for the rise in popularity of true crime documentaries and this basically looks like a spoof of like making the murderer pretty much so it's interesting that netflix would do this it's a send-up of all true crime docs and what happens is this is like this show is going to be like the shocking crime at the center of it is that somebody spray painted a series of dicks 
on a bunch of cars in a high school parking lot, faculty cars in a high school parking lot. And the doc, there's this documentarian, young documentarian, who tries to prove the innocence of the prime suspect, who everyone is convinced spray-painted these dicks all over the cars. So the trailer, like I said, fantastic, very funny-looking. We're going to see if it's got enough juice. It's scheduled for eight episodes for the first season, and we'll see, like I said, if this has enough juice to go on, but uh, could be very funny. Uh, the trailer looked very promising. That starts September 15th on Netflix, and it's called American Vandal. It is a shocking scene for Hanover High teachers today. The vandal spray-painted obscene images on 27 cars. Oh, my God. I'll never understand what's so amusing about penises. Everyone thinks I did it. Everyone. Dylan definitely did it. Of course he did it. He's like a known dick drawer. Another day, another day. The evidence, it's overwhelming. I spoke to expel Dylan Maxwell for vandalizing the vehicles. My name is Peter Maldonado, and I believe there are legitimate arguments for Dylan's innocence. Ball hairs. The ball hairs. They're different. It's just one piece of the puzzle. This is going to take way more than just ball hairs. All right, number four in the 10 new TV shows for fall 2017 that I'm urging you to check out is The Vietnam War, which starts September 17th on PBS. This is going to be must-watch television if you are an American history nerd and if you like Ken Burns movies. Ken Burns and Lynn Novick are teaming up once again. This time they're taking on Vietnam in 10 episodes and 18 hours of beautiful documentary-style television on PBS. Burns says that this is the most ambitious project he's ever done. And let's not forget, this guy gave us like 20 hours on the Civil War and on baseball, okay? So he's taken on Vietnam. He says it's the most ambitious project that he's ever done. Burns seems to be also embracing a little bit more modern uh, production values by hiring Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to compose the score for this and pick the soundtrack. Now, if you remember Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, obviously Reznor is from Nine Inch Nails, one of the true musical geniuses of our time. But Reznor and Ross were the guys who did the score for The Social Network, and to me that's the best score that has been done in in cinema since the 2000s. I mean, that's the the ultimate modern movie score to me and the one that I, I judged kind of all new uh, film scores, non-traditional new film scores against all others. I just I think that was genius. So to see that these guys were going to be doing the music, I think is very exciting. Um, and hopefully they're going to stay away from some of the stereotypical Vietnam rock. You know, hopefully we don't have to hear Fortunate Son again, something like that. For hopefully they pick something a little bit more surprising and nuanced than the Forrest Gump soundtrack offered us, which was like all the stereotypical Vietnam songs. This will be one of 2017's major events in entertainment. It's the Vietnam War, and it starts September 17th on PBS. There's been a lot done about this subject. Books, documentaries, feature films, novels. I mean, it's not like no one's ever tried. But it remains this kind of unfinished business in American history. So it's time now. The decades have passed, and it's important now to go back and try to understand it. There's no one American side. And then within Vietnam, there's the winning side. There's the losing side. They were our enemy and our ally. There's just so many different perspectives. We tried to bring them all together. Next up is one that sounds very interesting to me. Mike Judge presents Tales from the Tour Bus, which starts September 22nd on Cinemax. 
putting Mike Judge Presents colon at the beginning of a show kind of sounds a little bit clunky to me, but I guess they have to do it. This is the first time Cinemax has ever tried to do anything animated, uh, from what I understand, and they haven't really tried to do comedy in a long time either, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But this show basically is Mike Judge returning to animation, and it's going to be about country music's eccentric stars. So it's going to be like country music tour bus. And I'm not sure if it's uh, – there's not many details out about this for a show that's going to start in less than a month. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be like real country music stars narrating this, telling real stories, or if it's going to be like made-up country music stars. I'm not sure. But either way, I'm going to give it a shot because I'm a big believer in Mike Judge and – uh, so that one is starting on September 22nd on Cinemax, and unfortunately I do not have a clip to play for you because they just haven't put any out. But anyway, Mike Judge Presents Tales from the Tour Bus starts September 22nd on Cinemax. And number six here on the 10 new shows starting this fall that I'm going to be checking out is Star Trek Discovery, which kicks off September 24th on CBS, and then from there it'll be available on CBS All Access. That's the CBS streaming network. They're taking a big chance doing a... Um, you know, a kind of a landmark show here, a new Star Trek show, and putting it on their streaming network. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but in this iteration of Star Trek, Klingons are once again the enemies. This series is going to be set about a decade before the original Star Trek series with William Shatner and the crew. Star Trek Discovery looks very heavy on special effects from the trailers that have come out so far. It looks like a movie more than a TV show. Few shots in the trailer are set on a bridge, so I'm guessing it's going to be a lot more about exploration on other planets and battles in space rather than a lot of, you know, just the shots of the whole crew standing on the bridge talking about what are we going to do next, which was kind of what the next generation and the original series did a lot of. The visuals look like they're going to be heavily influenced by J.J. Abrams' Trek movies, so if you like the way those films look, you probably like the look of Star Trek Discovery. That show, uh, it's going to be an event, man. It's going to start September 24th on CBS, and then from there it'll air on CBS All Access. It might be enough for me to go out and try a CBS All Access pass. We'll see. The Klingon Empire has been in disarray for generations. We've encountered them. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Captain, incoming! You helped start a war. Don't you want to help me end it? Also starting this fall is a show called Liar, which kicks off September 27th on Sundance. Now, Liar is a show that there's not a lot of details out about either, and there's no clip, so again, I don't have a clip for you. But the show's about two people who go on a date and their lives being changed forever by something terrible, I guess, that happens on this date night. I don't know. Details are very scant. It looks like a sexy thriller, but it's on Sundance, so I'm kind of guessing and giving it the benefit that I think it's going to have a little bit more dramatic meat than just that. It's only going to be a six-part series, so low investment here for you. And it does co-star uh, Joanne Froggett, who got a lot of acclaim for her work in Downton Abbey. So that's a, a pretty interesting show, I think, starting on September 27th on Sundance, and it's called Liar. You can look up a couple little trailers for Liar. They're like 30-second trailers, but there's not enough in them um, that I thought would work well for me to play here on the show. So that's why I'm not going to give you one of those clips. All right, let's move on and talk about The Gifted, which starts October 2nd on Fox. So another network show for you here. This is another stab at doing an X-Men TV series after the critical acclaim of Legion on FX, which I've reviewed in a previous episode. 
as I've said before, I think of all superhero worlds, X-Men kind of lends itself the most for being used in television. Um, and this one looks like it's going to be much easier to digest than Legion was. And it looks to mix some of that coming-of-age drama uh, with superhero origin stories. Uh, the show is kind of about two teenagers who their parents discover that they have powers, that they have, I guess, the mutant X gene, and they're going to be, uh, and they're going to be mutants. Uh, but the parents are not mutants, so it's kind of this interesting, you know, mix, like I said, between coming of age and a little bit of action adventure kind of stuff. Stephen Moyer from True Blood, who played Bill on that show, uh, leads the cast, by the way. And I wasn't really that too familiar with the rest of the actors in the show, but uh, we'll see what The Gifted has for us. It starts October 2nd on Fox. You know, when you put your hand out of the window of a moving car, you can feel the air and guide it. I can push the air together, water too, other stuff. Who taught you how to swim? You. I can teach you this. In the ninth show out of the ten new shows that I'm going to be checking out this fall is a show called I Love You, America, which starts October 12th on Hulu. And this show stars Sarah Silverman, the always interesting Sarah Silverman, as she tries to befriend her trolls and unite the nation. So this is a... This is not like a traditional scripted show. This is a topical kind of, uh, I don't know, want to call it a talk show, but almost more like a magazine show, I think. And it's going to completely depend on the kinds of real people that Silverman is able to get for her segments. So apparently Sarah Silverman's going to go like do little focus groups like what you'd see on CNN after the election, asking them various questions, getting their reactions. She's going to do in the field pieces. Like uh, one that was promoted was that she's going to be having dinner with some family who says they've never met a Jew before. So that should be interesting on its own. Um, but Silverman is the reason to watch this show. She's always sharp, always interesting. Um, anything she's kind of done on TV has been interesting, and uh, I'll always give a chance to something that she's going to be starring in and, and, and writing, presumably, and maybe having a hand in directing as well. So that's Sarah Silverman's new show. It's called I Love You, America. It starts October 12th on Hulu, and there are no clips out there right now, so i got no clip for you there either. But the final show that I'm going to uh, mention does have a clip, and I'm really excited about this one. It's called Mindhunter, and it starts October 13th on Netflix. This show comes from David Fincher, uh, one of those directors that uh, I just I just happen to worship, especially for his work in crime films like Seven and Zodiac. And this one looks a lot like his great movie Zodiac. So Fincher's directing and producing this series. Charlize Theron also produces it. Um, and what it's about is, I guess, early FBI criminal profilers. And the show is inspired by real-life agents, real-life killings. The trailer makes the show kind of look like a film more than a TV show. Honestly, I thought it was going to be a movie before it said a new series from Netflix. Production values look outstanding. Um, it looks kind of like a mix to me between Hannibal and Fincher's Zodiac, like I said. Because the show looks to be more about the psychology of killers than actually about the mis the mystery of like a who done it. Like it doesn't look like it's going to be a who done it and they're going to be investigating a single uh killing. It's going to be more about like killers and what goes on in their minds and the FBI agents investigating them trying not to be sucked in uh by the seduction of that kind of way of thinking. So, uh looks looks like a fascinating show. That one starts on October 13th on Netflix and it's called Mind Hunter. I mean imagine what it takes to bludgeon someone to death. The lust for control, the feeling of arousal, the decision to humiliate her corpse. 
How could you possibly get that from an ordinary police report? I can choke down the bile, manufacture empathy, when our subjects are at least informative. We decided no one was beneath our contempt. I'm trying to warn you, your attitude is going to bite you in the ass. You're developing a pattern of behavior that will not sustain you here. So young to be ruining people's lives. We need to know exactly how worried we need to be. Awful raging eating feeling is inside me. It's not our job to commiserate with these people. It is our job to electrocute them. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. If any of this is going to work, we need to talk to more subjects. More! You want truffles? You gotta get in the dirt with the pigs. No, we don't. We are the FBI. So those are my 10 fall shows I'm going to be checking out one more time. American Horror Story Cult, September 5th on FX. The Deuce, September 10th on HBO. American Vandal, September 15th on Netflix. The Vietnam War, September 17th on PBS. Mike Judge Presents Tales from the Tour Bus, September 22nd on Cinemax. Star Trek Discovery, September 24th on CBS. Liar, September 27th on Sundance. The Gifted, October 2nd on Fox. I Love You, America, October 12th on Hulu, and Mindhunter, October 13th on Netflix. And those are just the new shows, man. There's a bunch of shows I loved last year that are coming back once again, like One Mississippi comes back September 8th on Amazon. Top of the Lake is back with a new season called China Girl, September 10th on Sundance. Um, If you like crime procedurals and you never watched Top of the Lake, check it out. I think it's on uh, Netflix now. At least it was. That was where I watched it a while ago. Better Things. Fantastic show is back on FX on September 14th. And this season, Pamela Adlon is directing all 10 episodes. So that should make it even better. Uh, Nathan For You is back September 21st on Comedy Central. Transparent, how I love Transparent. How the show was not nominated for Best Comedy Series this year is just beyond me. But anyway, Transparent's back September 22nd on Amazon. This Is Us is back September 26th on NBC. How to Get Away with Murder is back September 28th on ABC. Curb Your Enthusiasm's finally back October 1st on HBO. And The Tick has found its way back to television. Uh, Six episodes of that are on Amazon right now. Who doesn't love The Tick, man? So that might be worth your while as well. But I didn't include it in my fall preview because it's already out. So that's why I didn't list it. Uh, But, yeah, so it's fall TV season, man. We love it. And I want to know which shows you're going to be watching, which ones are kind of piquing your interest that you've seen the previews for. Drop me a line at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Final thing uh, before I let you go, as always, I'm going to drop you off with two movies that are now streaming for your pleasure on Netflix and Amazon that you may not have seen. First off on Netflix, a 2004 documentary about Metallica called Some Kind of Monster. This movie is awesome. If you like Metallica at all, you've probably already seen it. But if you don't really know much about them, give this a watch just because this is like psychological theater at its greatest. This is a band on the verge of breaking up. No one seems terribly interested in working together anymore. Um, It's a very sad period in Metallica's uh, great history. And like I said, man, the band was just kind of on the edge, and these guys were just not really feeling it anymore. It's all about them making their 2003 anger uh, album, Saint Anger, which uh, was just very contentious times. Lineup changes, producer changes, all kinds of stuff going on in some kind of monster. And it's directed by uh, Joe Berliner and Bruce Sinofsky, two of the best documentarians uh, in in American documentary history. So you're in good hands with some kind of monster, which is from 2004, and it is on Netflix right now. And on Amazon streaming now, 
another documentary, this one by Michael Moore called Where to Invade Next. This movie uh, came out in 2016, and when my wife and I watched it, we honestly, we had a dead serious conversation for, that lasted a couple days about moving out of the country. We wanted to leave America because of this movie. That's how powerful Michael Moore's uh, film, Where to Invade Next, is. He goes into all these different kinds of social um, social issues, and he visits other countries and sees how they deal with them and basically wants to steal the ideas, bring them back to America, and, and let us use them because these other countries are doing things way better than we are. He talks about prisons, policing, uh, schools, work-life balance, vacation time, all kinds of things that around the world people kind of take for granted and get much more out of than we do here in our own presumably greatest country in the world. So there you go. Where to invade next. That's right now on Amazon. Watch it with some hankies nearby because you're going to, uh, you're probably going to cry about the state of America after you see this film. All right, that's going to do it for this month's edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you guys very much for checking us out. I urge you to go to the website, OverdueReview.com, for even more fun from Andy and I. Once again, I want to thank my music editor, Andy Sedlak, for chiming in as well. And I want to thank you very much for listening. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at Overdue Review. Always wanting to hear from you at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. We'll talk to you in a month. Thank you very much, my friend. Until then, stream on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.